0: All right, and welcome back to another episode of Credle. I am joined today. For the first time in a while, we missed our regularly scheduled uh, meeting a couple weeks ago, but joined uh, by my friend Larry Chapp. We're going to break down a great book
1: today. But first, Larry, welcome back to the show. Uh, I've missed you. Well, thank you so much for having me back. i missed you too. I mean, just so your viewers know, I mean, I had COVID and uh, I survived. Uh, for me, it was actually very mild. It was just like a bad cold for me that lasted about... A long bad cold, like 10 days worth of bad cold and a lot of fatigue, but I was one of the lucky ones. So yeah. here I am completely 100% recovered and happy to be back on your
0: show. That's great. I'm so glad that you're recovered. I obviously was praying for you when you told me that you, you had COVID. Um, uh, you know, when you said that you had you had COVID but you recovered, uh, I, was, I was thinking that it's a good thing you didn't say you beat COVID because there's something wrong with our terminology around illness uh, in the modern world. And I don't know if you've thought about this before. I think about this a lot, especially because my mom passed away from cancer last summer, uh, last summer is in summer 2020. Um, but you know, when he, when people come through an illness like cancer, for example, and then they're in remission and they have a clean bill of health from the doctor, they often say, I beat cancer or people look at them and say, you beat cancer. You're such a, such a badass," or whatever. <laughs> uh, and, and the, the reality is that, um, that none of us choose the time. Well, I guess some of us try to choose, but uh, none of us really can choose the time True. and place of our own death. True, and um, and there are plenty of people who fought valiantly. I think, especially my mom, who fought valiantly to the very end and still uh, to still succumb to the to the illness or to the disease. Uh, and so, to me, I think to have beaten something uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you've actually. One right for example none of us can can beat or cheat death because we all will die one day right. but rather to beat something is to um is to emerge on the other side of the battle having lived or died um completely surrendering the outcome to jesus christ and so I, I i wish i wish the catholics were more cognizant of the language around that because even the language with which you talk about those things really matters i think it does matter and uh there's a lot of really uh, awful
1: language going on about COVID and the fight with COVID, and yeah, I, I yeah. deliberately choose the language of recovery instead right. of saying I I beat this S O B virus, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I beat it to a pulp, or no, it actually, it, yeah. it beat me to a pulp for about a week with the heavy yeah. fatigue, but I, I recovered, and the recovery is because of God's grace and uh, right, and also the the robust economy with which He has invested our bodies. Uh, and uh, I thank our Lord
0: for my immune system. <laughs> yeah, uh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah I uh, it, it is it is sad to think um, how many people are still succumbing to COVID. I just uh, yeah. one of my colleagues today uh, asked for prayers for uh, for an uncle who just passed away today. So I would offer uh, this this sad.
1: warning too. And I know I don't want to get too far off topic. Yeah. My my next door neighbor here in Scranton, her aunt, who wasn't very old, like in her fifties passed away suddenly from covid rapidly from covid wow. she had covid she knew she had covid but it was apparently very mild and then all of a sudden she couldn't breathe i mean like in an wow. instant she couldn't breathe and she passed out taken to the hospital died like two hours later a friend of mine had so sad. a friend of mine had covid last year and was in the hospital for about 40 days i remember that and yeah exactly you about that. the same thing happened to him where he was okay, oh. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. All of a sudden, boom! In an instant, can't Not breathe. Fine. So I would say, if you have COVID and you say, "Ah, oh, it's no big deal," uh, be sure you keep track of your oxygen saturation levels because they can drop drastically, even while you feel like you're breathing normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And and then all of a sudden you're passed out, and if you don't have anybody around you, you're dead.
0: Uh, so COVID is nothing to trifle with. Man. Yeah, no kidding. Well, like, like I said, I'm glad you recovered, and all, all thanks to yeah. God's grace, Larry. Thank you. Uh, speaking of illness and grace, let's let's transition to our main topic today. This is something that, that you and I have been talking about for a while. Um, part of the delay in getting this, this episode out is because of the, the coronavirus. Part of the delay, though, is also because um, I think we were going to do it two months ago, and I was still kind of working my way through the book, so uh, it's been on my list for a long time. Uh, I'd heard about it and then I think I heard you uh or I think I read some some of your blogs yeah, that mentioned yeah, Bernard specifically. Yeah, uh I mean and I see why. So I, I was like I think I have to read this book. This would be a good a good thing for someone like me who uh, often sort of gets gets wrapped up in the vicissitudes of uh, of modern life and uh, preoccupied with with health and well-being and uh, and all of that and this is a great book for someone like me. Um So uh, the Diary of a Country Priest is written by George Bernanos, who is a uh, French writer. It was written in 1936. There's a there's a 1951 film by the same name, Uh, but it is it is set in uh, a small little town in northern France. Um, Town might even be overstating. It's a a rural area. Ambicourt. So most of Ambicourt, exactly. Um, Your pronunciation was better than mine. So uh, it's Ambicourt. <laughs> the uh, the american pronunciation is Ambricourt, I believe. Yeah. uh so it's set in uh in that town in northern france and there's this this very new very young country priest uh and his first pastoral assignment or parochial assignment is to be the country priest for uh Court. and uh and he does this and the whole the whole novel um there's only only the very end, I think, actually breaks character where it's not actually from the pages of his diary. The rest of the novel is all from his diary, as he's working through the challenges of being a a country priest. And there are a lot of them. There are uh, there are health challenges which become more significant as the book goes on. There are uh, there are you know problems of catechesis with his you know first communion students that he's teaching in Sunday school and faith formation. Uh, there are problems um, with juggling the sort of uh, needs and requests and desires of the very wealthy patrons uh, in the Ambracord. Uh, there are, it, it's, a, it's a very, um, it's a pretty, uh, it's an area with a lot of inequality. So there's basically the, the landed, you know, former noble families. And then there are um, rural agricultural farm owning peasants. And so he has to sort of juggle those dynamics as well. Um, and it's it's a it's a really really good read. So um, that's my quick summary of the plot. But Larry, do you have any sort of opening comments before we sort of dive into dissecting what's going on in this book? No, it's
1: it's just to add on to the fact that uh, about Bernanos, uh, the author, who um, at least for quite a while in his life was was a monarchist politically, uh, a royalist, as, as they would say and a bit of an agitator for that, and a political activist for that. And, and, and the reason why I bring that up is, is to highlight the fact that Bernanos really, uh, he did not have uh, warm feelings towards the modern world. Uh, mm. Like so many Catholic intellectuals in the middle part of the 20th century, uh, they were very uh, disaffected by the modern world, and, and found it to be cold, technocratic, already then technocratic, bureaucratic, managerial, and they felt like it crushed the soul. Uh, in this way, he's very much like Peggy a figure like Peggy, uh, Claudel, um, Francois Mauriac, uh and and others in, in that French vein of thinking. Um, just read uh, Bernanos' little book, uh, The Great Cemeteries Under the Moon, which is his account of the Spanish Civil War. Uh, and it, it's just damning towards... Uh, the... No, he wasn't, in a sense a luddite, anti-technology all that but he uh, he he had and my point is he did have this longing for uh, a more a more classical culture let's put it that way with a fusing together of catholicism and culture and politics into one seamless society you know catholic france and he and he had a wistful almost nostalgic longing for that and i think that comes through in diary of a country priest as well
0: yeah, it certainly does. Uh, and you're right. I think there's something fascinating about the interwar period and then following World War II, the post-war period, where uh, we we do we see a sort of effort to remake society um, in accordance with this bureaucratic, technocratic, empiricist vision. Um, when I was at Oxford, I did my master's thesis on a, on a similar idea, which was that basically in the postwar, era after two world wars um, caused the death of tens of millions of people. Um, there was an effort uh, at the highest, the highest levels of political power. There was an effort to make sure that this never happened again. And the thinking was if we can identify exactly all of the sort of technical causes of human conflict and war, then we can make sure that we eliminate those causes. Yep. And so there's, there was a move, there was a move away from this uh, anthropocentric or this anthropological vision for yep. what generates human conflict and how and how society should look, and instead a move towards um, a move towards this very sort of technocratic, um, bureaucratic, you know, imperialist way. This is this is obviously where the birth of the social sciences come in. You know, it's no longer oh yeah, uh, it's you know, politics is no longer a political theory. Uh, it is now political science, right? And it, so, it's um, all
1: part a, of the and, onward march of the, the empiricism of the natural world and its right. ever-increasing subjugation to the hegemony of the hard sciences to such an extent that eventually the hard sciences extend themselves to the human being and to human society as well. So now everything has to come under the aegis of some hard science, and eventually it's right. It's political science, it's sociology, it's psychology also yeah. come to be viewed at these kinds of sciences. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Bernanos was was appalled by, this managerial society. I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote about it, you know, in The Abolition of Man, his famous little book about eventually there's going to be the controlled and the controllers. Uh, and, and Bernanos very much had that same vision. I mean, Tolkien was inspired after World War I by this same negative vision, which runs throughout Lord of the Rings. His, uh, which is really, I mean, all of it is kind of a riff on Gerard Manley Hopkins' poem, right? Uh, God's Grandeur, where Hopkins says that everything in the world now wears man's smudge. You know, yeah. we, we've smeared everything. We've smudged yeah. everything. Uh, but still, as Hopkins says, uh, there's a freshness that still lives deep down things. And that's what, it's that freshness that Bernanos and others Peggy, Token, because they're Catholics, they mm-hmm. still seek that freshness in 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 sanctity, and this is what comes out in Diary of a Country Priest. Its main theme is sanctity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, on the on your point about the smudge uh, in the uh, Hopkins poem, you know the smudge is there, but the interesting thing is we sometimes smudges things just because we're we're trying to mess them up, but more often it's because we're trying to make them better. We're trying to sort of leave our mark and improve things, and, and, and it kind of reminds me, you know, as a father, it reminds me of. Um, you know, I'm, I've been doing some painting around the house as we get ready to sell it. Uh, and that's why, by the way, uh, I I told you Larry, but now my listeners, the backdrop looks a little bit different. And my bookshelf is, is uh, shorn of most of its contents, et cetera, because we're getting ready to move. But so I've been painting a little bit, right. And if my, my son comes along and says, you know, I'll help you daddy. And then picks up like the wrong color paintbrush, right. And just smears it on there. He's trying to make it better. Uh, but he doesn't, right? He he leaves a mark that you know he's it, th- despite his best intentions, uh, he's he's messing it up. So I think we are often guilty of the same. The same. Oh, type m- of thing, I'm you know, guilty of that when that I
1: way. when I clean my glasses. <laughs> yes, I, I
0: end up just smudging them. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's like oh, they're not clean; they're smudged. Yeah. So I think I, right. it's a good point you just made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to the book. Like you said, the whole point of the the book is sanctity, and I didn't I didn't really talk about the um, the sort of uh, I guess the climax of the book at the very end. So spoiler alert, if you want to read the book and you don't want this spoiled, it was spoiled for me before I read the book. So I knew it was coming. So spoiler uh, here it is. Um, throughout the book, this young priest faces some serious stomach ailments. And at first it just seems like sort of typical indigestion and he deals with the various ways his diet becomes strangely restricted so that basically, uh, all he can have is, is, which is interesting, bread and wine. Right. Um, Uh, And there's, there's obviously some symbolism there, but then he ends up at the very end of the book, he ends up seeing a specialist and the specialist initially dismisses him and tells him he's fine. And then the specialist um, comes back to him and basically says, you know, I wasn't being straight with you. Uh, The specialist ends up having terminal cancer, but then also says you have stomach cancer. I'm pretty sure. Uh, And that's, that's the diagnosis that this young priest ends up leaving with. He doesn't even get a chance to return to his parochial assignment, um, in that town, he's staying with a friend. The friend himself is a former uh, former priest or former seminarian. I actually don't exactly remember, but now he's um, now he's uh, pursuing married life. Uh, but anyway, this priest dies um, essentially in his friend's arms in the middle of the night, uh, and the last words on this priest's lips, as recorded by his friend later on to uh, um, to the ecclesiastical authorities, is "Doesn't matter. Grace is everywhere." And so this, this priest has just fought and fought um, valiantly. I mean, I think he was really trying to do his best in his humble assignment, but he was really just having a lot of troubles in that humble priestly assignment in Ambracord. And um, at the end, he finally acknowledges that the grace was there all, all the while. I think he was, he was spending so much time agoni- agonizing over whether or not he's being a good enough priest, about whether or not he's, he's um, pastoring his people well, about whether or not he 's really giving to God all that he should, uh, and then he finally comes to realize at the end uh, in a very sort of therese of Lisieux fashion that grace is everywhere um and I think that's 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 to me the best part of the book, probably to most people as well but it's a beautiful related to bit. that is
1: actually that there there is an al- an alternate translation of of the last line that is most
0: i've seen this yeah most
1: yeah. often translated grace is everywhere, and I remember once I wrote a uh, 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 a research paper for a, a doctoral level course I was taking at Fordham during my doctoral studies, and I wrote it for uh, a professor who was a, a native French speaker, and I quoted that grace is everywhere, and when I got the paper back, it was graded well, but uh, he said uh, essentially no, 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 grace is all, yes. and uh, th- there are French speakers that would disagree with him, but he is, and he, he talked to me later, and he said, well. The reason why he preferred grace is all as the last line of the book is precisely kind of for the point that you were making where the young priest realizes that everything he has endured, everything is grace that uh, he was thinking in terms of means to ends and what the goals he wanted to achieve in his parish, the things he had to do, what he wanted to accomplish. And he would view his illness and and his various shortcomings in his skill set and intellect as impediments to all of that. And yet at the end, he realizes, no, 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 all is grace all mm-hmm. which is a different simply way of saying yeah, ev- is, yeah grace yeah, is everywhere yeah. it's in all things yeah. uh yeah, right. but i kind of prefer almost the grace is all translation even if it's not quite as literal as the grace is everywhere translation and i can have some justification on that since a french speaker told me that <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah. Uh,
0: you know uh, <laughs> i'll d- i think go ahead well, I was just going to say I was I was only recently made aware of that alternate translation. In fact, the Wikipedia page for Diary of a Country Priest says all is grace rather than grace is everywhere. Yeah. Um I I just wonder if it, you know the the translator trying to sort of translate for a vernacular American English audience. It, no, no. I just uh,
1: I just wrote an article for Communio International Catholic Review mm-hmm. and it's in its galley proofs right now, PDF form in there. I got uh I got the they're going to publish it in the next issue. It's on kind of the stuff I blog about. But I quoted Diary of a Country Priest, and I, oh, nice. and, I and I translated that verse, grace is all. But one of the mm-hmm. editors, who is uh, not a native French speaker, but fluent in French and quite a scholar, okay. quite a scholar, uh, changed the translation back to grace is everything yeah. and said, no, 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 no. I understand that it's kind of popular now to say grace is all, but it means grace is everything. Uh, grace is everywhere. Grace okay. is everywhere. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. So, you know, I... I
0: read French, well, this, but this, I, yeah, this is, this is though, uh, I, I'm in, I'm in sort of, yeah, I've been sort of immersed in this world a little bit. Um, you know, in my day job, as you know, Larry's doing some sort of, uh, trans, not, I'm not doing the translation work, but I'm sort of, um, doing some management of translation projects. And one of the challenges is that in a language, you know, this is a great example in a language like French, you can have a word that is sort of ambiguous and there's beauty in the ambiguity because it can be interpreted either way. Right. So yeah. you can have, you can have native French speakers and readers who read that and, the, the connotation is somewhere between all or everywhere, right? And that's probably what Bernanos intended, right? Yeah, I, I think and so. So it's, it's hard that we have to settle on one.
1: And they're both beautiful, so maybe we're splitting hairs for no reason here. <laughs> yeah. We're getting maybe too arcane and, and yeah. uh, splitting yeah. fine hairs over a French word because it does kind of boil down to, to the same thing. Uh, right. You know, that grace is in all things and including everything that he's experienced. But I, I, that's your favorite line, eh? Um, my favorite part of the book is actually on the complete opposite end of the book, the very first page, okay. where uh, if you've read my blog, you know that I'm very fond of quoting uh, the, the, young di- the, the young priest in his diary, where he says, my my parish is bored, like like all parishes are bored. Yes. And he goes yes. on to describe that boredom, and then at the end he says, and there's not a thing we can do about it. And I think that line summarizes very nicely Bernanos' sense of futility with regard to salvaging anything from bourgeois modernity as as, an, as, as a vehicle, as a vessel for promoting yeah. the Catholic faith. I think he really viewed bourgeois modernity, the managerial state, the what uh, Badaev called the culture of well-being, material well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I mean by bourgeois modernity, the, mo- the the modern world that orients itself around material security, material comfort. I mean, just think about it for a second. Half of our income goes towards this strange thing called insurance, uh, th- 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 uh, an unheard of phenomenon in the history of the, of, of the world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, n- yeah. not that insurance is a bad thing, but you get my point. And, and, and so yeah. Bernanos is saying right here on the opening pages, there is something that afflicts the modern catholic faith and is killing it is toxic is poisonous and what afflicts yeah. it is the acedia of 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 modern spiritual boredom and there's no way around it by simply trying to double down on modernity you have to look for answers elsewhere and the church isn't. And this is what comes out in that other book, Great Cemeteries Under the Moon. He has a fictional agnostic give a speech in front of a bunch of prelates in the cathedral. And, and, and the fictional agnostic says essentially this, that uh, you guys have all doubled down on modernity. You you've, you've made your accommodations. You've made your compromises. And you're fools for doing so because all you've done is to sign your death warrant. Uh, that, uh, you know, you've got an illness and you keep popping arsenic thinking, you know, it's, it's yeah. going to cure me. Uh, and so Bernanos, right at the beginning, diagnoses the spiritual malaise of our time, spiritual boredom. D- and, and it's not just, oh, I'm tired of church. It's, it's, it's a deep existential disinterestedness in anything uh, as having any ultimate value. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, where everything loses its flavor. So anyway, that's my favorite line. You know, my parish is bored, and it's always raining. Notice, yes, yes the, it is. In the very For beginning, sure. too, he says it's <laughs> raining all the time, and it's like kind of a rain that
0: seeps into your bones. Yeah, and see, yeah. He says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a little bit of this uh, from the first page." Um, he starts out like you said, "Mine is a parish like all the rest; they're all alike. Those of today, I mean, right?" So he's saying this is a, yeah, a, a unique. A, this is uniquely modern. Uh, affliction and then he says in the next paragraph my parish is bored stiff know what their word for it like so many others we can see them being eaten up by boredom and we can't do anything about it someday perhaps we shall catch it ourselves become aware of the cancerous growth within us you can keep going a long time with that in you which is of course a foreshadowing the foreshadowing what, what is growing inside him yeah um, and then this thought struck me yesterday on my rounds it was drizzling the kind of thin steady rain which <laughs> gets sucked in with every breath which seeps down through the lungs into your belly I mean it's, it's such good writing it's absolutely amazing Yeah
1: No that, um, that Yeah
0: I, uh, go ahead So you know th- there's
1: there's a picture that is painted for you right from the beginning uh, a bored parish in a dreary rainy landscape uh it's it's just not good it's dour it's it's a very it's a downer beginning there's no doubt
0: about it yeah, it it is. I can see why that's your favorite uh, favorite line, Larry, because um, I think it's it's that it's that animating idea, yes. from which you find, from, you know, with, with which you find the common touch point in a lot of your you're writing for today because it it applies today, maybe even more than it did. Yeah. Because you know, my, probably my
1: personal motto in life has got to be, it's worse than you think it is. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) anything, anything that begins like that is going to catch my attention immediately. I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. So just your viewers
0: should know that. Yeah. Um, I think it's good though, because, um, you know, I think it, it is often worse than we think it is. And, I think about this a lot. We all should Uh, about how the the powers of hell are, are active and out there and prowling around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. That's attested to by scripture. Um, and this is, this is not only a material world in which we inhabit. This is a supernatural world first and foremost. And then after that is a natural world, the supernatural precedes the natural in the, in the order of being. Uh, and so we are not engaged in a battle of flesh and blood. Um, and so I think it is worse than we think it is, because what we often think it is, is based on the material evidence that we see. Um, right, right. Sometimes the emotions that we feel, um, well, neither of those things capture the entirety of what is Well, well when you think about it, and Bernanos writes about this, that
1: uh, it's the old, you can boil a frog kind of mm-hmm. thing, where if you put the frog in tepid water, it won't jump out and gradually increase the heat. And right. uh, the frog will literally boil to death and won't jump out. I've heard that mm-hmm. story as we all have for decades. <laughs> I, I, I I've never experimented to figure out if it's actually true or just an apocryphal pile of nonsense. Right. Uh right. But it's but it's 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 repeated so often by so many people because it is an apt analogy for the sociology and psychology of how human beings can allow mm-hmm. themselves to fall into desperate situations culturally. And you think I mean. Like the Germans right before World War II, whatever, could they not see where all of this was? No, actually, they couldn't see. Because through a slow incremental process of drip, 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 slow change, slow change, slow change, it's, it's amazing how the ordinariness, the quotidian nature of day-to-day living works on our psychology in a way that anesthetizes us to evil. I mean, this is why mm-hmm. Hannah Arendt had that famous line about the banality, the banality of, evil. of evil. This is kind of what, yeah. what she meant, the ordinariness of it, the everydayness of it after a while. How can a, Nor- a German who was simply a kindly banker, you know, who gave candy to little kids on the street and, and you know, was nice to his neighbor and his mama, uh, mm-hmm. how could th- then all of a sudden he's killing Jews in a gas chamber? Uh, through that process of the banalization of evil. And this is one of Bernanos' concerns here. Uh, the church needs to wake up. This is like the fictional thing from the agnostic, but it shows up in Diary of a Country Priest as well. Here you have this very holy priest. He doesn't know he's holy, but he is. And he's out Mm -hmm. here. He's trying to get people all right, to to come to God, to live lives oriented around God. And yet the resistances he faces from his catechism kids, from some of his fellow priests, from the rest of his parishioners, from the rich countess and her family, Mm-hmm. all right and it, it, they they resist 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 because they're infected with the bacillus of modern bourgeois modernity and so right. they they through a series of incremental small steps have lost the sense of god as joseph rosinger and pope benedict said the thing that afflicts the modern world is the eclipse of our sense of god this is what bernanos is driving at here and that's why he wants to be how bored his parish is and and how the everydayness of everything is just crushing his parish. This is, is clearly a theme that is that just screams out from the pages of this book.
0: Yeah, and the uh, you could order the cli- you could argue the climax is his death. You could also argue that um, that's more of a coda. And actually, it probably is more accurate to say that's a coda. I think the climax of the book may be his conversation with the Countess.
1: In the center um, of the book, it is. Yeah. You're absolutely correct that the death scene is a coda. I will add one more thing to what I just said, though, about all the people in the book that resist him. Uh, notice here, in some sense, the most compassionate person in the whole book is, is the ex-priest at the very end. Uh, who shows uh, the young curé some compassion that he had not gotten from anybody else. And uh, in some ways, I think this is Bernanos' way of saying that uh, holiness can be found not simply in the the channelized ways that we often like to think it is. It can be found, Mm -hmm. you know, grace is everywhere. It can be found everywhere. Yeah. But uh, but you're right. The high point is his conversation with the countess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about that because he he mentions evil and sort of so he's sort of arguing with her about the existence of God and whether or not whether or not God is real, uh, and then arguing with her about evil, and he has this um, he has this amazing conversation um, with her in which he's talking about all of these various topics. I'm looking at my um, my digital copy of the book right now. Um, this is in his diary. This is this pre- immediately precedes his conversation with the Countess. Um, but he's talking about evil, and he says, uh, many souls, yes, many more than we dare imagine, souls apparently quite indifferent to any religion, there's the spiritual boredom or indifference that right, we right, talking about, right. Larry, any morality even, must at last on one day out of all their days have come to suspect an instant will do it, something of this satanic possession, and long to escape it no matter how. Solidarity and evil, there is the horror of it. He goes on to say, the world of evil is so far beyond our understanding, nor can I really succeed in picturing hell as a world a universe. It is nothing, never will be anything but a half-formed shape, the hideous shape of an abortion, a stunted thing on the very verge of all existence. And then, this is maybe maybe the most sort of haunting, we are told that the earth is still quite young after thousands of centuries, still as it were in the pristine stages of its planetary evolution. Evil, too, is only at its beginning. God, I presumed upon my strength. You cast me off into despair as we fling a scarce-born animal into the water, tiny and blind." And then basically right after these reflections in his diary, uh, he goes on to talk to the yes. Countess. Somewhere that, in there he talks he too about how house. just as there's a communion of saints, there's the communion of evil. Yes, he does. Uh,
1: let me see if I can find There's that. a kind of solidarity of, of, of evil as well, but it's, it's it's a kind of simulacrum of the communion of saints, a parody of it, a, a counterfeit. Yeah. Um, but your, your uh, listeners should know that the reason why the Countess does not believe in God and is bitter towards God is, you know, she lost her son, mm-hmm. um, killed, uh, died when a baby. And so she never kind of got over that.
0: Uh, I found the line by the way. Yeah, she, she didn't. But the, the beautiful thing about that whole conversation with her is that it ends with a confession, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it, so he, through his persistence, uh, opens the door to, um, to sacramental grace for her. Uh, but here's the line, Larry. This is, this is right, right in that same section, just before the excerpt I read. There is not only a communion of saints, there is also a communion of sinners. In their hatred of one another, their contempt, sinners unite, embrace, intermingle, become as one. One day in the eyes of eternal God, they will be no more than a mass of perpetual slime over which the vast tide of divine love, that sea of living, roaring flame, which gave birth to all things, passes vainly.
1: And that's pretty powerful, powerful, powerful language, you know, uh, the uh, French intellectual just died a few years ago. René Girard uh, would Mm -hmm. have a lot to say about that communion of sinners. Uh, He's a very interesting figure that I think mirrors here. What what Bernanos is saying, where Girard points out that the origins of almost all human violence and all human sinfulness Mm -hmm. is what he calls mimetic desire or, you know, imitative desire. That it's not just that we desire things. But we, we start to desire what we see others desiring. So that's called mm-hmm. mimetic or imitating desire. And when we start desiring what others desire, then there's a competition. It's a little bit Hobbesian, but in a different register. And I think this is kind of what Bernanos is hinting at here, too. There's a jealousy among sinners. There's a competition among sinners. And so they're all sort of desiring the same things, but they can't all have it. And so they're fighting each other over it. It's a very degraded sense of what the goods of human life are, but what freedom is mm-hmm. all about. Uh, and Bernanos is just great on this stuff.
0: Yeah, he is. I um, uh, I like your point about Girard and the mimetic desire. Um, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I think that's a profound way of,
1: well, it's on my mind because I'm reading about lens. it lately. <laughs> so, mm. You know, I got to drag into that, these uh, conversations, whatever yeah, yeah. it is I'm reading yeah. about
0: lately. <laughs> it's good. Are you, are you writing something on it?
1: Uh, yeah. Eventually, I'm going to be giving a paper okay. next fall at St. Patrick's oh, nice. Seminary in San Francisco uh, wow. on Girard. And uh, Balthazar was very, very cool. fond of Girard, too. Uh
0: was he really? Yeah. I guess that's not that's not terribly surprising. Yeah. I
1: can't remember where. Somewhere in the trilogy he spends about five pages on Girard and said, you know, this guy's onto something. Okay. I mean the criticism of Girard is that he's a one trick pony. You know, once mm-hmm. you get away from his basic idea about mimetic desire, not much there. But that's not true. He's actually a very profound thinker. Mm. But anyway, back to back to uh Bernanos and Diary of a country preacher. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, so I, I, back to this conversation with the Countess as well, because I think this is maybe a, a good sort of one to um, to dissect a little bit. Um, so as you mentioned, she is a very bitter woman because of the death of her son. Um, was it a suicide? I'm trying to remember now.
1: No, I, I, uh, it wasn't. I don't think so. Was it an illness? Yeah, I think it an illness. Uh, yeah.
0: I, either way, her son is taken far, far too young from her, and yeah. she blames God for it, so she's become sort of a... Um, I think, I think she'd probably fall into the category of practical atheism, Larry. Um, I think so. And uh, know, she 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 confesses a belief in God, but when she has when she's honest with herself and with the the curé the priest she um, she also asks all the questions that sort of indicate her lack of belief in God. And she certainly beha- behaves as if God does not exist, which is the hallmark of practical atheism. And her husband's an adulterer, um, and her mm-hmm. daughter's a piece of work. <laughs> her, her life <laughs> is just the, what
1: we'd call a hot mess <laughs> and yeah. uh you know and it goes to show that her high the point being in bernard's not in the novel here that despite her high social standing and her you know financial stability uh you know she's as spiritually miserable as as right. the most miserable person on
0: the planet yeah, and I think this is this is certainly one of the insights of the novel. Uh, this country priest uh, has very little money that is mentioned several times in his diary. Most of the people whom he pastors have very little money because it's a rural population. The countess and her husband are very well-to-do, but in that conversation, he says, um, where she, she's basically saying, you know, I can see these things because I'm rich and well-to-do. Uh, he says, do you really think the poor are deaf and blind? Unluckily, they're far too sharp-sighted. Madam, the most stupidly blind of all people are the satisfied rich. You can hide vice away in your houses, but poor men smell it out from afar. We're told so much about pagan vices, but at least pagan slaves had only to submit like animals, and once a year their pagan masters smiled at the Saturnalia. Whereas you abuse the word of God, which teaches the poor to obey in their hearts, you fancy you can steal by cunning what you ought to take on your bended knees as a gift from on high. There's no greater danger in the world than rich men's hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. And uh, she doesn't love that.
1: No, and and it also shows. I mean, one of the criticisms that I have read of the novel is that for a simple little curé, a simple little, fairly unintellectual little pastor of a parish, he strangely sounds like Bernanos giving a lecture once in a while, uh, <laughs> you know. And this is perhaps yeah. one of those instances where, all of a sudden, he sounds like Bernanos sermonizing. But I don't think that's a fair criticism. That's a criticism I've read more than once uh, of the novel, uh, that the, the curé is just a, a mouthpiece for some of Bernanos' pet ideas. I don't think that's true. I think Bernanos is actually making a very serious point here, which is that this young curé has doesn't have tutor, tutored education. What he has is wisdom, and it's a wisdom born of sanctity. And he, and, and even though he's uneducated, he's not inarticulate. He, you know, he he is he's a very articulate man and he's a very intelligent man, even though he's not, like you said, really super, super educated. And it is his sanctity which gives him insight and wisdom and then the ability, like a spiritual surgeon, to dissect this woman's psyche, her soul for her in order to lay out for her. how how she should move forward how she can get over this spiritual malaise that she is in so she's uh he's is actually painting a very very astute picture of holiness here
0: yeah and uh so on that point um i did that did occur to me a few times where i'm reading this dialogue for example between him and the countess and he has these uh these beautifully uh beautifully um, almost diagrammed uh, paragraphs where he's making a profound point. Remember um, though, too,
1: before I, I before I let you go on, he is, after all, this. These are actual quotes from a diary. I mean, this, this is then the right. priest writing in his diary. Yes,
0: that's exactly that's exactly what I was going to say, oh, okay. right? Because I would think, well, he, this seems a little bit smooth smooth for him to have delivered at the moment. And then I thought, oh, this is his. Own recounting of the conversation, right? So then I sort of picture him delivering this to the countess, and he he might be stuttering. He, there might be times where he's sort of less sure of himself. It doesn't mean right. that he has um, that he's he's delivering it less forcefully, but um, he, it's probably not delivered quite as smoothly as he recounts in the diary, right? Right, um, and he
1: might then also be conflating all kinds of things that he said yeah. in in disparate moments during the conversation right uh, but he right. just he just cuts out all the all the uh, the the fluff and condenses it all into a paragraph here's what i said to her
0: it might have taken right, me half exactly. an hour to say this but <laughs> right. here's here's essentially what i said That's, to her it, it was it was there it was all there yeah. um yeah so i think the other the other insight here in addition to that i think you know it's not bernanos this is a this is a holy priest who's able to to yeah. diagnose the same thing as that bernanos diagnosed um in addition to that the the i think this sort of puts puts to lie the notion that we can't simultaneously be concerned with spiritual rot and also be proclaiming the love of god oh yeah because this priest throughout the book this priest throughout the book is constantly proclaiming the love of god Um, his dying proclamation obviously is grace is everywhere or all is grace depending on the translation Um, and even in his conversation with the countess he reminds her both of God's love, but also of you know the importance of 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 firmness uh, and of spiritual firmness and of not being spiritually apathetic. I'm looking. Yeah, at, he's quite. Example, he can be quite tough with her. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at this part where he said, where she says, "Hold your tongue." Um, he, he's basically reminding reminding her about the spiritual consequences of hardness of heart. Uh, And the spiritual consequences are hate and separation from God. And she says, hold your tongue. He says, no, madam, too many priests have held their tongues. And I wish it had only been from pity, but we're cowards. We let you talk once we've established a principle. And what have you layman made of hell? A kind of penal servitude for eternity on the lines of your convict prisons on earth, to which you condemn in advance all the wretched felons your police have hunted from the beginning. Enemies of society, as you call them. You're kind enough to include the blasphemers and the profane. What proud or reasonable man could stomach such a notion of God's justice? And when you find that notion inconvenient, it's easy enough for you to put it on one side. Hell is judged by the standards of the world, and hell is not of this world. It is of the other world, and still less of this Christian society. And he goes on a little bit more, and then he says, Hell is not to love any more, madam. Not to love any more. That sounds quite ordinary to you. To a human being still alive, it means to love less or love elsewhere. To understand is still a way of loving. But suppose this faculty, which seems so inseparably ours, of our very essence, should disappear. O oh, prodigy, to stop loving, to stop understanding, and yet to live. And so I like I like in there the two things, right? He's being super firm with her. Uh, he is not letting her get away with um, her sort of uh, bourgeois Catholicism or her practical uh, atheism. Um, and yet he's also reminding her of the love of God and how that, mercy. Is, that is the God's standard mercy. by which. Yeah, And
1: what he's pointing out to her is, is a phrase that uh, I like to use, which is uh, that he's criticizing what is kind of a, a form of contractual Catholicism as I call it, contractual, where you you sort of, you're not bargaining with God, you're sort of bargaining with God indirectly through the church. And so the church yeah. has these moral rules and these sacramental disciplines, and so you sort of make a pact that I'm going to live according to these rules. And when I occasionally fail them, then I, I do the rule that the church says I have to do, is I go to this confession box thing, and then I, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I did these things. Okay, yeah, you're out of here. Um, yep. And this is contractual catholic. It never goes deep and it's never dwelt on the love of god it really is therefore true that the less catholic you are the more judgmental you are this is bernanus's point the more lukewarm catholic you are the more you're going to be the one separating sinners from the non-sinners and wagging your finger because that's all you have all you have at that point is judging in a kind of contractual penal concept of things But that's why I think the figure of the ex-priest at the end is so very important, because he's an example of non-contractual Catholicism. He clearly still has some sort of union with the church, some sort of communion with the church, Mm -hmm. however estranged it might be. But his Catholicism is not contractual. He understands the love of God. He understands that hell is not to love anymore. Uh, and so all of these scenes are connected, but this scene with the countess is absolutely the central part of the book.
0: Yeah, because and, it's um, his breakthrough like moment. Su-
1: I mean, he succeeds.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, and I think that is that is interesting um, because he also he doesn't um, he doesn't know if he totally succeeds. Right. I mean, he he. Um, no, he thinks he fails. There's the confession. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's beautiful as well because he. He thinks he fails, um, at least partly. Partly fails, he yeah. He it's, smashing success, yeah. He questions it and so forth, yeah. Right, and then she, and then she dies, right? Yeah. So he Actually, he goes, he goes to it's his not grave. Not funny, but I, not, you know. Yeah. Like... Well, it is, it is. Um, I mean, it's funny in the sense that, like, there's a, there's a humor there in that God's ways are so much higher than ours. the The insight here from Bernanos is that, our that success is not ours to know. Right. success is not our right. to judge. Yeah. and uh, and so what the priest is is he's faithful in confronting the countess he's faithful in in essentially preaching to her um there's a there's the confession but he's still not he's he's still not convinced he totally succeeded uh and then she dies and then of course he's sort of racked with guilt for for her death and wondering if he well people blame he him caused that mm-hmm. people in the book well, they blame it, him for it yeah and they uh his his ecclesiastical superiors say you have to tell us what what you talked yeah, about. Yeah, she died after. Yeah, that. what so, did you do to this poor? How yeah. did you torture her <laughs> psychologically? Must, must have been must have been really bad. Um, uh, yeah, and and he basically says like what was what was said was between her and me. Oh yeah, um, and so there's the it wasn't what was said uh, was not in a sacramental confession. Um, so it's not bound by a seal in that well, sense. It's not bound by in modern seal, France seal, France
1: but, that might not even matter anymore. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they're they're struggling with that right now. Anyway, that's a completely different topic. Um,
0: I didn't realize that. I had not seen that in the news. That's uh, yeah. The
1: French government okay. has now, like the Australians, has mandated that if you find out about if certain crimes, if you find out about yeah. child sex abuse in the confessional, you have to report it. Either right. if it's the the what? abuser confessing or the uh, young child that's been abused confessing. Yep you have to report it to the authorities. And a French bishop said, well, you can't break the seal of the confessional. And everybody condemned him in, from the, in the French government wow. saying, hey, look, the laws of the Republic are are higher than your silly little church mm-hmm. laws. And of course, they've now armed with this document that shows 70 years of Episcopal malfeasance on the issue of child abuse. So the bishops have no credibility. And they've shot themselves in the foot, as uh, my friend Adam Deville points out. You know, the bishops have no one to blame here but themselves. But still, it doesn't change the fact that the seal of the confessional is being compromised. Now, this is not off topic. This is kind of, I mean, it is in France, but it's, it's Bernanus' point that w- 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 sooner or later, if you accommodate yourself to bourgeois modernity and the, in a sense, authority of, of the managerial liberal state you are eventually simply going to become an adjunct to that yeah uh, to the ministry of justice or the ministry of culture you're just a, an appendage to to the authority of the government and uh and bernanos was waving that red flag decades and decades ago and and now here the chickens are coming home to roost there you go uh nobody goes to church in france anymore other than you know maybe five percent Of Catholics, and uh, the church is riddled with scandal and corruption, and all of it is the result of exactly what Bernanos was identifying in this novel. In Diary of a Country Priest 60 years ago, he was saying, we're in for a world of hurt if we don't uh, properly diagnose the spiritual disease that is afflicting us, and that the only antidote to that disease isn't a synod or Mm -hmm. some sort of
0: What about a synod on synods? A synod on
1: synods or some sort of (laughs) marketing strategy. No, it's holiness. It's sanctity. And that sounds cliche. That sounds like, yeah, we just need to be holier and everything. Well, it's true. The church Mm. exists for no other reason than to bring people to Christ and his holiness. There is no other reason to be a Catholic than to desire to be a saint. And that is Bernanos' point throughout this thing. The the, the curé is a model for us all, not just for other priests, is a model for us all. I reread that book every single year. Uh, at some point as a spiritual exercise to remind myself that sanctity and holiness are the answer, the only answer to the problems that afflict us, the only possible answer. And and it's always been the case that it is the only possible answer. The church always, Mm -hmm. always, always gets into trouble when it forgets that and starts to make deals, deal or no deal. Okay, let's make a deal. The church is always dealing and it always falls flat on its face because guess what? The church is lousy at deals. So is Trump, by the way, but he he likes to think he's good at deals, but the church is really bad at deals.
0: It's that's all well said. I think it's a good note to end on, Larry. We you know what do you know? We came full circle and we ended on on the the call to holiness and the importance of personal sanctity, which is well, that's, what we that's always. Why I with. love this book. It's what it's about. Yeah, it's what it's about. This is um, it's become a major theme um in my podcast uh, since you know in my conversations with you, I've I've sort of realized the importance of that, and so uh, you've inspired me to sort of make that a theme of my my other podcasts as well. So they always come back to personal sanctity and the universal call to holiness. Um, I think to your point about how that's cliche, right? The answer is holiness to an audience of practical atheists or an audience of actual atheists um, or an audience of um, agnostics even, or just those who sort of don't believe in the transformative power of Christ mm-hmm. and reject the theological consequences of the incarnation uh, to that audience. It does sound cliche because what, what it sounds like we're saying is like, we just all have to be, we have to be nicer to people. We have to just be... It's nice to be nice really to the being, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have to just focus on being better people all around, yeah. and then we won't have these problems. I'd rather laugh with the um, sinners than cry with the saints. You guys are all so dour.
1: And, <laughs> right. and, and, but, you know, this is why novels exactly. like this are so good. Because, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why it sounds cliche to say holiness is that it's disembodied. Yeah. What is? It, what do you mean, holiness? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Is this right. holy card, uh, piety, lighting candles at church? What is this? Yeah. Whereas you read some of these... Uh, one of uh, uh, i know we're out of time but there's another little short story novelette by bernanos that i actually like better than diary of a country priest
0: oh wow it's What's called that Mouchette,
1: and it's about a, a young girl and I, it's spoiler alert she she so don't listen any further if you don't want to she ends up <laughs> she ends up killing herself so you would think hmm. she's not a supreme model of sanctity and 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 in some ways bernanos is not presenting her as an ideal model of sanctity but she's a young girl who goes through all kinds of nonsense in her life. Very poor peasant French girl. Uh, and like I said, it's a very short story, maybe 50, 60 pages. That's it. It's an easy read, but it, it's, uh, I remember the first time I read it, I, I was so invested in her character. I was crushed. I cried when I got to the end and realized that, that she killed herself. Uh, and like I said, spoiler alert for your readers now, because, but, uh, I would highly recommend people to read this because just like with the ex-priest at the end of Diary of a Country Priest, so too with Mouchette. What Bernanos is keen to show, as many of the French novelists of that time were, is that holiness does not necessarily fit into a preconceived mold. He wasn't questioning the church's moral teaching or her spiritual laws, but but he was pointing out grace is everywhere. And we have to be very astute to seeing where sanctity raises its head.
0: And I think that's the point, right? Holiness means nothing without grace, because holiness without grace is yes. not is not actually holiness. It's, yes. right. it, it's, just, um, it's just attempts at personal rectitude. It's, just, it's, it's us leaning on ourselves to try to do good things and be nice to people. Um, but grace is the difference maker there. And so the, when we talk about holiness and holiness as the... solution out of the church's problems what we're talking about is the radical uh or the encounter of the human soul with the radical grace of jesus christ and the transformative power absolutely um that that offers and that's what i see in a diary of a country priest and it's not only in the cure the the priest who's the main character it's it's primarily through him and he's obviously the lens through which the book is written um, but it's also through the countess it's in that it's in that yep. sort of encounter with grace that she has when she falls to her knees she's, and confesses. she's a model
1: of conversion of penitence of repentance, yeah exactly it's, and there's um, sanctity in that right right there's sanctity um, in the ex
0: priest there's sanctity in the cure there's sanctity right. in the countess yep um there's there's also the, the peasant girl who yeah. who you know trudges trudges to church yeah. every day and is not treated well by her father, but she she wants to be That's there and she 's kind of like Mouchette who wears her wooden mm. shoes and trudges to yeah, it from school yeah. in the rain. It's always in the rain with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Always in the rain. Yep. <laughs> or the snow in some, in some yeah, scenes yeah. in diary. But the, yeah. the point is like the, the elements are just beating us. Yeah. Down, yeah. Right. And, but the, but they're forging us. There's grace in the elements. They're, they're forging our, our sanctity and our holiness. So, okay. um, yeah, well, I think this is a great note to end on, Larry. Thanks so much for coming on and doing a discussion of this book. I, this is this is long overdue, but I'm really glad we my did pleasure. it. And thanks for introducing me to the book because uh, it's, um, you know, I think it, it's it's rare. It's yeah, definitely two thumbs up. It's rare that you read a book that that really is life changing in the sense that it can just change the whole way you see the world. Change my life. And I think this is yeah, this is one of those books for me. So. Um, grace is everywhere or grace is all, um, it's a, it's a great note to end on. So thanks so much, Larry, uh, to my listeners, Larry will be back. Uh, he does the monthly, monthly show sure. with me when he's not, uh, not recovering from COVID. So he'll be back. But if you have any questions for him in the meantime, feel yeah. free to send me a note, Zach ZAC at dot com. Uh, if you have any questions or comments on the show in general, feel free to send me a note Zach ZAC at dot com. Larry, thank you so much for joining. Once hey, again. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. It's always great. I totally agree, Uh, and I'll look forward to our next discussion. To our listeners, God bless you.